Turn with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. You can keep it if you don't have a Bible. John chapter 2. Before we read this, um, this message is about moms, but I think if you're not a mom, you're a guy or a dude, you'll get, you'll get something out of it as well. But uh, my childhood was in the 70s. Anyone else see you in the 70s? You, you did your childhood in the 70s? Um, this was a time back when moms made dinner a lot. They don't make it as much. I mean, some of you do. We have some moms that make dinner a lot, but... But on the whole, America's changed a lot in the last 30 years. Some ways good, some ways not so good. Uh, but moms made, usually made dinner. Uh, nobody had heard of Chick-fil-A at that time. It just wasn't around. I didn't, we didn't have it where I live uh, outside the D.C. Beltway area. Uh, chicken was shake and bake back then. That's, that's what chicken was. Or cornflakes were mound into something and then coated on that. That's what, you know, we didn't have Chick-fil-A. Pizza was not Little Caesars, it was Chef Boyardee. <laughs> and you're like, did this homemade thing, and that's what you got. Chinese was La Choy Chicken Chow Mein. <laughs> this, is the, this is the 70s, folks. This is what it was. Uh, plus other treats like Spam, a lot of it, Sloppy Joes, casseroles, which I learned to despise over time, meatloaf. These were the kind of things that we had. And there really was pork chops and applesauce. Really, people did eat that. And, and that wasn't really fun either. I mean, these were the <laughs> things you were like, you, you longed. My grandparents would take us out to dinner, and we were like, yes. <laughs> Ponderosa. <laughs> That's for, uh, that was a real thing then. I mean, I think they're still around somewhere, but, you know, that was like a big deal. You got to go to Ponderosa. It was like... Uh, Great Western theme there, you know. And moms, they had, a, they had a few common sayings, too. Here are a few of my favorites. I heard these for real. You want something to cry about, I'll give you something to cry about. Remember that one? You're bored, I'll give you something to do. You're thirsty, why don't you just swallow your spit? I never understood that one. Like, how is that hydrating me? Because I actually had a brain, I was thinking, that doesn't, it's not putting more H2O in. You're hot, just lie still. Now that actually has some validity to it. We didn't have like the greatest of air conditioning. If everyone else jumps off a cliff, are you going to join them? We don't have a cliff in our neighborhood. Or There's not, no cliff around. You know, so we remember the things that moms say, don't we? We remember they have impact. And these are funny ones, but we remember the important things, too. And so I want to turn your attention back to John chapter 2. This is a mother you all have heard of. She happens to be the mother of Jesus. Her name is Mary. And she's in this story, and you, you've heard it many times. You know it. But let's reread it together. John chapter 2, starting with verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern 
have to do with me. Now, I wanted to speak to my mom sometimes like that. <laughs> but remember, that wouldn't have been good. I was a lot younger than Jesus here. He's 30 years of age now. You don't say this when you're 10, kids. Just be careful. Don't try this at home. <laughs> now, we'll get to what all this means because it's misunderstood if you read it and you didn't understand the context. He says, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were set six water pots of stone according to the manner, manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. They had these pots, and you had to wash the hands and uh, make sure that you were completely clean before mealtime. And Jesus said in verse 7, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they fill them up to the brim. And remember, they contain 20 to 30 gallons apiece. These are not like, these are, you're not picking this one up out of the public's, uh, you know, just grabbing it out of like a jug. This is, you're like this, 20, 30 gallons. He says, fill them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had taken, had tasted the water that was made wine, did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. When the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. And this is the beginning of signs that Jesus did in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, and his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay, and they did not stay there many days. Let's pray. Father, we ask now for the anointing of your spirit on this, your word, and this time. Remove me, as it were, again from the equation, Lord, that you would be glorified and you would be heard. Bless this time by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, we know that the central figure in this story is Jesus. Would we all agree with that? Yes. And we can observe that a celebration of joy on the third day here in verse 1, it says this third day, here at the very outset of Jesus' ministry, seems to foreshadow another third day celebration. Not in Galilee, that would be in Jerusalem, right? That coming third day of rejoicing, which we just recently celebrated on Easter Sunday, set the stage for the, really, the big wedding to come. Amen. The one that we're all going to be part of, marriage, uh, supper of the Lamb. We also know that this was the first public miracle in the ministry of Jesus. The clay pots, they're symbolic of the reminders that we are made of clay, that we're made of the elements, the same dust and water elements that make up clay, but yet it's on the inside where the water is, is where our soul is. And Jesus came to do a transformational work on what? The inside of us. The inside of us. A complete change, not a modification. Again, that water was not just a little tweak into, uh, like, poured into the Brita, right? And taking it from, well, it's got this amount of uh, bad stuff in it, now it's cleaner water. No, he's changing it completely, not just from water to a cleaner water, but water to something different. It's a miraculous new work on the inside. And so these pots symbolize these things. But then what work? The work that God does on the inside of us then becomes visible when our lives are poured out, 
When it's poured out, people can see, wow, there's a, there's a real change. You're not the same person. People that meet me now that knew me in high school or something say, you're not the same person. Yeah, Jesus turned my water into wine on the inside. Now, in the Old Testament, water was turned into what? Blood. It was a symbol of judgment. But here, it's turned into wine. It's a symbol of God's transforming power. It's something that was to be part of a celebration, not part of judgment. Jesus, of course, is the only one with the power in this story, or any story in the Gospels. He's the only one that can turn water into wine, and the only one that can turn a lost soul into a saved soul. Water doesn't turn itself into anything. God does. Souls can't turn themselves. It takes the Lord. He and his power to change is the centerpiece here. But there are some other lessons here, and Mary... His earthly mother is prominent among them. Should we see her as resident in the story? In fact, it's interesting that John opens this story in this eyewitness account by first informing us that the mother of Jesus is there. Verse 1, on the third day is a wedding, and the mother of Jesus was there. So we actually see him mention uh, her name here. Interesting. Uh, you know, uh, I could see Mary and all the other women there before the men arrived. Couldn't you, men? Couldn't you see the women getting there first? She's mentioned first. And it was a wedding day, and Mary was there. Not just there, there. I mean, all in, completely present and excited. It's a wedding. Ladies love weddings. <laughs> just my observation here. Grooms love their own wedding. Many women tend to love all weddings, <laughs> plus the showers, plus the fittings, plus the pictures, and the Pinterest boards, <laughs> you name it. Men go to weddings. Women experience weddings. They even bring their own tissues to be part of the experience. They're extra ready. Mary was there. Many women... And far less men. There might be some men, so if you're here, you keep it to yourself. Uh, but um, many, many women and far less men like watching weddings on TV where they have no personal connection to the people at all. The gown, the hair, the makeup. My girls watch YouTube clips on makeup and stuff like this. I'm like, but, you know, I... I like my sports stuff. So, you know, we just have these different things. But Mary was there. She was already there. How many men here, don't raise your hand, <laughs> set their DVR for the royal wedding last year? <laughs> that happened in our house. I didn't set the DVR, but it did get set. All five hours or whatever it was of it. Now the queen is driving. You know, now the royal princess. You know, that's the cousin. That's Oprah. You know, all these other people... It was a big deal in our house. But God's given mothers and women a deeper connection to weddings. I believe God's embedded that bride on her wedding day emotion into the heart of women. I don't know why, but I could give some reasons. They'd be hypotheses, if you will, but I believe that God's embedded that into the heart of women. And if he has, I believe it's a connection 
to the spiritual parallel of the church as the bride. There's things that God gives men that are part of God's nature, and there's things that God gives women that are part of God's nature. Even Jesus said, how I long to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. Jesus gave a maternal statement instead of a paternal statement in that notation when he looked at Jerusalem. But I think there's another direct connection with John here being the writer and him mentioning Mary in the presence of Mary in this scene. Turn with me just briefly to John chapter 19. Turn with me to John, same book. You're in the second chapter. Just go 17 forward to John chapter 19. Now, a sobering moment. Jesus is on the cross. Mary had been uh, foretold, prophesied that this day would come, and it's come. And, of course, it was a painful Painful would be an understatement, times a thousand for her. But verse 28 through 30, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things uh, were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Um, I'm sorry, go back up. I didn't mean that. Verse 25 through 27. I was three verses ahead. Verse 25. Now there stood by the cross Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now when Jesus saw his mother, and the disciple whom he loved, that's being John, standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Now, John is not Mary's son. But he says, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Go back to the second chapter. So John's the writer. And when we get to the cross, we see that Jesus gives John a very specific command to personally take responsibility for his mother as if, John, from now on you're her son and she's your mother and you have the responsibility to take care of her. Now, when Jesus gives you a task, you need to do it, right? So John now is like, I'm one of hers in spirit, not, not biologically, but now I have this responsibility. And so Mary is now under the care of John the rest of her, of, of her life and the rest of his life. And, of course, Jesus knew when he said this. It's awesome. We wouldn't have known it then, but Jesus would later make it clear that John would have a different ending than the other apostles. And he would outlive all the other apostles. It was all part of the master plan that, John, you're going to be the one to take care of it because you are not going to die the martyr's death. You're going to be the one that's going to outlive all the others. Now, Jesus was John's Savior. But Mary also had a big influence on John's life, and I'm sure John had a pretty big influence on Mary's life as well, as they would, you know, however many years Mary lived beyond that, and all the other disciples. And I believe Mary also, not only was she an impact on John's life, but I believe she's a great role model for all mothers. And I, she's not the only one. I think others in the Bible, like Sarah and Rebecca, there's other uh, role models in the Bible. But um, if you're taking notes, we're looking at this morning when a godly mom speaks, uh, because there is something that God wants to do in using the words that you speak in your lifetime, and sometimes they're going to have greater impact than others. And here, in this context, Mary's going to say some words that are really going to be important, and they're going to matter, and they're going to have impact. And if you're taking notes, the first thing I want to look at uh, from our text this morning is uh, as Mary looks at the situation, her concerns. She has some concerns here. When this wedding, 
or any ancient Jewish wedding ran out of wine. Understand the context. Now, this is ancient Israel. This is uh, you know, under the Roman control. But, but the, all of the Jewish traditions held true all the way through the captivities in Babylon, uh, held through uh, the, um, the Hellenist period, uh, the Roman Empire. They kept the Jewish traditions, the law, and the traditions. So some of the traditions were not given by the law, but then you had what would be more cultural traditions and the law that mixed together. And so when wine was, if you ran out of wine at a wedding feast before it ended, it was a major, major embarrassment to the family. This is not a big, this is no small thing. And to some, um, specifically, they would consider even it cursed. So it would also be a major embarrassment to the bride and groom. This was a really bad first step to take in the community. Now, for those that might suggest this was grape juice, you'll hear this sometimes. Um, I, this, is not, this is just bonus material, by the way. Uh, I believe it's pretty clear that it's wine. Amen. It's not grape juice. Um, and historical evidence backs that up. At the same time, uh, the commonly served wine in those times was considerably lower in alcohol content than today's wine, considerably lower. And devout Jews in that time... And devout, uh, you know, it was really understood from the Old Testament perspective. Devout Jews considered drunkenness not only a sin, but a real social embarrassment as well. So today, people think it's no big, hey, I get drunk, you know, hey, let's cheers, you know, that, that was an embarrassment in that culture. So the wine was much lower in alcohol, and it would be considered embarrassing to be drunk. And so that it wasn't. It wasn't the way that you might... It's not like the wine was flowing in some of the weddings you see on America's Funniest Home Videos, right? It's not that. Where people, oh, slip and fall, you know, that kind of... It was, it was very much a controlled, sober experience, but yet there was alcohol in the content. Wine was integral to the symbolism in the wedding and the ceremonies within the wedding itself. So you had specific ceremonies. If you've ever done like a Passover Seder, you understand that the cups in the ceremony are very important. They're elemental to the Seder. And so they had similar things that were elemental to some of the wedding uh, uh, ceremonies. And wine also was a rabbinical symbol of joy. It was a rabbinical, the rabbis considered a symbol of joy. And it was understood in the Jewish context that the presence of the wine was the presence of joy. Because it was the fruit of the vine that God had blessed. And, and because if God doesn't send rain, if you know anything about Israel's terrain, they depend on rain. They don't have the kind of river systems that we have. So wine is a picture of joy because if God doesn't send rain, there's no water going into that grape. And that was understood. All of these things were in the context of the Jewish society. Dr. James Boyce writes, to run out of wine would almost have been the equivalent of admitting that neither the guest nor the bride and groom were happy. Again, all these things mattered. I know if I went to a barbecue and they ran out of barbecue, before I got any, my joy would be affected. Just a barbecue, and I didn't get any barbecue. And you probably, most of the men are like, yeah, if, it, if that happens, I'm leaving I'm looking at my wife and saying, we are out of here. 
Mission Barbecue is right down the street. We can get there. You know, but, <laughs> but the real issue here uh, was that there was a miscalculation in planning. That Jesus didn't consider a miscalculation because he had divinely planned for the miscalculation. Aren't you glad that Jesus divinely planned for your miscalculations in life? Amen. God has divinely planned for our miscalculations. But there was a miscalculation, and it wasn't that Jesus was aware of it. He knew going there, this was going to happen, but no one else did. And Mary, as a good and godly mother, she was concerned about it. She comes and says, they have no wine. Moms don't really enjoy miscalculations, <laughs> period. But especially they don't like miscalculations when it means that someone's going to get left out. Someone's going to be left out. And most moms do not want to see anyone in the group left out, not the kids at the party. We only made 10 cupcakes, there's 11 kids. This is not making any mom happy. No one left out. My wife likes to prepare for 10 as if it's 20. That's the rule in our house is that it, it, do, not, do not try and hit par exactly. Make sure you're above that so we are ready for extras and people that we didn't expect to show up and all that kind of stuff. But I think Mary was also concerned not only about people being left out, but this bride and groom themselves, this young couple to get started on either the right foot or the wrong foot, the impact on their reputation, their marriage, their reputation, the community, not to have a start on negative footing. To a godly mother, all of these things matter because people matter. That's why. The little details matter because people matter. And not just a mother's own children, but a godly mom cares about other people's kids. God is a father to the fatherless. He doesn't care just only about, well, it's just the children of Israel. No, no, people all over the world. And just a thought here. I could see Mary's house, by the way, you know, later John becomes her son. I could see Mary's house being the one in the neighborhood where everyone was welcome. Everybody could show up. In the 70s, it was the screen door. You just you know, come right in the screen door, right? That's the way we stop flies, but you just have a screen door. And a fly swatter, that kind of thing. Everyone was welcome. Where the disciples and the young people could call her mom. You ever had the lady in the neighborhood where everyone was allowed to call her mom? That really annoyed the kids that really were her, uh, you know. Because I had a grandmother like that. She allowed everyone there to call her grandmother. And then we would tell, you don't call her grandmother. She's not your grandmother. <laughs> We would tell, we would tell my, my, she would come bring candy for all the kids. My grandmother would do this. She'd bring candy for all the kids. Y'all can call me grandmother. I'd say, no, you can't. She's not your grandmother. You go get your own candy. You know, that, because kids aren't as giving as moms. Kids are like, no, 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 no. That's not how it, she does this special stuff for us. You're not getting in on this. But Mary, when she sees this, she'd probably love to fix the situation. Moms like to fix stuff, right? I can jump in there. I know what to do. I can bake a casserole in three minutes, right? You know, that, I can get this fixed. But she knows she can't fix this one. These pots are huge. And even if they don't have, they have she doesn't know how it's going to happen. She'd have to like, where do where we even get the wine? She, but she knows where to go. She's confident that there's one present who is more aware, and not only more aware, more concerned than she is. 
more concerned than she is. And notice her confidence. She comes and says to Jesus, they have no wine. Let's take, if you're taking notes, the second point I want to bring your attention to, her confidence. She has her concerns, but she also has her confidence. She takes her concern to the only one who can resolve this emergency situation. She goes to Jesus. Moms, are you taking all of your concerns to Jesus? Your emergency situation, but not just that, all your concerns to Jesus. Taking them to him. Saying, I can't do this. I can't figure this out. You're not called to figure everything out. You're called to bring it to the one who already has it figured out. Isn't that great to know? It takes a lot of pressure off you. A lot of things you don't have to figure out. I, I've learned this as a pastor. I mean, it, it, the church is like one big family. There's a lot of problems I cannot figure out. The, the older I get, the more I say, I'm really glad God has all these things figured out. Just take them to him. All of them. It's a bit funny that she tells Jesus, who's God in human flesh, something he already knows. They're out of wine. Oh, Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> he doesn't say that. Fact is, everything we ever tell God, he already knows. Everything we tell him in our prayer life, you've never told God something he doesn't already know. You just found out about it is really what it is. But we speak anyway because we're told to cast all our cares upon him. Even the ones we've shared a thousand times, we can keep casting them on him again. Some prayers you've prayed more times than you can count, and you can keep bringing them back. The response of Jesus is a reminder that his works are led by the Father. He says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. It's actually one full phrase there as he puts those two statements together. He's saying that the will of God is his primary concern because his ministry started at the age of 30. And at the age of 30, with his ministry started, he goes, my primary everything is, God, what did you want me to do today, tomorrow, the next day? The next? Everything is led by the Spirit of God to complete the will of God. And Jesus' response of woman is actually a sign of respect. It would be like us saying ma'am. Because Jesus is asserting here that in his ministry capacity, he is the Messiah, not her son. In the ministry capacity, he's the Messiah. But he's respectful. It'd be like saying, ma'am, in her relationship with Jesus has changed. She's now dependent upon him, not the other way around. She's dependent on Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, as Emmanuel, God in human flesh. Jesus is her son biologically, but he is her Savior and her Lord relationally and eternally. That makes sense? Relationally, eternally, he's her savior. He's the only one that can fix these problems or any other problem. That's why she's come to him. She has the confidence that this baby that was born in a manger, she knows he has the ability to do anything. And no one's even seen him walk on water yet or tell the skies to be still or anything like he's not done any of those things yet. He's not done a public miracle, and yet she knows that he can do it because she already believes in him as her savior as God. Her concern, because again, you could say, well, anyone would think this. No, he's not done any public miracles yet. And she already has the faith that he can do whatever needs to be done. Isn't that great? Amen. Moms, 
Do you have the confidence that Jesus can do what you need him to do? Do you have that confidence? Do you have the faith that he has the capacity to answer whatever problem you have? Her concern and her subsequent request amounts to what is a face-to-face prayer. This is a prayer. She just happens to be literally in the presence of Jesus. When you go and pray and you're saved, you have access to the throne room of God. You're having a face-to-face prayer. You're just not physically in heaven yet. But you're able to talk to the Lord in the same way that she is here. This is a face-to-face prayer that she's having. Moms, are you women of prayer? Are you women of prayer? In Psalm 109, verse 4, I love this simple statement. It says, but I give myself to prayer. But I give myself. You've got to give yourself to prayer. You've got to say, I'm going to start to commit to talking to the Lord, to talking to Jesus daily, investing that time. Not just when you have prayer time, but you can do it while you're throwing clothes in the wash. You can do it while you're making dinner. You can do it while you're running errand. You can still talk to God. And men, this works for you too, by the way. We all need, that's why Paul said praying without ceasing. We all need to be talking to the Lord constantly, but you have to give yourself to prayer. No matter the circumstances, no matter the days, the good days or the bad days, we need to commit ourselves to prayer. And this is very important for moms to keep emotionally balanced and and strong is to talk to the Lord because he's your confidence. He's your strength. Your husband's going to miss a few things. You're like, he ain't kidding. He misses a lot. Right? Uh, people in life are going to fail you. Jesus won't. But Mary goes personally and confidently to Jesus, even in the face of his response, because he doesn't say, I'll do that. Notice? He doesn't say, okay, I'll take care of it. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'll take care of it. He doesn't say, heard you loud and clear. Do you ever get a little bit disconcerted with God being a little bit silent with you? You ever have that happen? You're like, I'm not getting a clear enough answer back here. I'm wondering if he really heard me. Oh, he heard you. Sometimes his silence is to test where your heart really is. Because he doesn't say, I'll take care of it, Uh, I'll knock it out, I'll turn the whole situation around, just sit still, you're going to love what I'm about to do. He doesn't say anything like that. He says, what is your, my hour hasn't come. And she still has this confidence that he heard her and something's going to happen. Even in the face of his response, she's confident that he cares. That the will of God will be perfect. Do you believe that the will of God will be perfect? If you've prayed and you've read the word and you're settled that you're doing what God, that you're saying, Lord, this is what your word says to do. I'm going to do it. I'm not sure if this will work. But you know it's in the Word. It'll work. You can be confident. Even if she doesn't understand his answer. Because sometimes God's answer, I don't understand. How about you? It's an odd answer. My hour hasn't come. Woman, what does your request? This is not the answer that I was expecting. But you'll love the solution, even if you didn't understand the answer. Isn't that great? She's about to love the solution, even if she didn't understand the answer. That the will of God is still perfect, even if she doesn't understand it, and you have to accept it by faith. That is confidence in prayer. And I turned 50 this year, and I feel like a baby when it comes to the confidence of prayer. I look forward to when I'm uh, 70. What will I learn in the next 20 years about prayer? Moses was called at 80. He learned a lot about prayer from 80 to 120, didn't he? 
Some of his were frustrating prayers. Lord, if I've found favor in your sight, please take me home. You know, that, that was one of his prayers. But he drew close to God, and he understood that sometimes the silence of God, and Mary understands that, that even the silence of God, if you're praying with a pure heart and a sincere heart, and, you, and you, you're saying, Lord, I want this for your glory. This couple, if you care about people when you pray, God will hear you. This is the confidence and a God that we can pray to. Moms, are we teaching our kids that prayer works? That silence sometimes from the Lord doesn't mean God isn't, not, isn't hearing us. That prayer, prayer works. That God can be trusted. That Jesus can be trusted with our prayers. And we know her confidence is there, even though his answer is a bit... I don't know what to do with this answer. What's going to happen? We know she still had the confidence that he heard her because we see what she says in verse 5. This is how we see from Mary's response here that she was very confident that Jesus was going to act on her behalf. When you pray, do you believe God's going to act on your behalf? Do you believe God's going to act on your behalf? If you say, Lord, I have no known cinema. I've confessed everything I know to confess. I'm asking you. I'm pleading with you on this scripture. Yeah, there might be some silence there. There might be some, I'm going to test you a little bit, but just cling to it. Just cling to the promises in the word and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to cling to this. She's confident that Jesus was going to act on her behalf. Her response tells us of her confidence. She takes his response of, woman, what does your request have to do with me? My hour has not come. I'll take that as a yes. All right, servants. Isn't that amazing? I'll take that as a yes. Servants, whatever he says to do, do it. He didn't say he was going to say anything to the servants. Now, moms might say, well, moms know their kids. So, you know, there might be a little bit of that there. But more than anything else, when you have a relationship with God, the Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit. And you'll sometimes, you won't be able to explain to people why you know God's going to move. Uh, well, did he, did he show you a vision? Nope. He did. I just sense in my spirit that God is going to do Sometimes you would know, you'll have this relationship with the Lord. And so she sees that I believe he's going to act. Maybe she saw it in his eyes. Maybe she saw it in his countenance. But she knew that he already knew that wine was gone. She knew, he, she knew that he cared about the couple. She knew he cared about people. So she turns to the servant and says, whatever he says to do, I have a feeling he's going to say something. And when he says it, do it. This should be our response, to be ready. To be ready when God finally speaks. To be ready when that verse finally comes. To be ready when that door finally opens. To be ready to trust the Lord, what he wants us to do, and that we have enough trust in God that we're able to instruct other people of how to learn to follow God. Many of you, if you are saved, you should be making disciples by now. You should be able to instruct. Mary can be a, not just a disciple, but a disciple maker because she can teach faith as well as walk in faith. And God wants us to get to that place where we can instruct others where applicable for them to do the same, for them to take the same steps of faith, for them to trust God as we've learned to trust God. Paul, was say, Paul said, imitate me while I imitate Christ. 
We're studying D.L. Moody, the men. We had a great turnout, 31 men Thursday night. We can say, hey, D.L. Moody wasn't perfect, but we can follow his faith because it was based on the scriptures. And by the way, we already know, um, again, she has this confidence. She's not sure exactly what Jesus is going to do, but she finds the resident servants and she talks to them like they're her own sons. All right, guys, listen up. Whatever he says, do it. She has some very specific counsel for them. And we know that John, uh, if he isn't already, will later become like a son to Mary. We, we looked at that. But she reminds me of the kind of mom that uh, everyone you know, could come and get advice from, right? Not just come in the house, call her mom, but even get advice from. I think godly moms not only have an influence on their own circle, but that circle gets wider the longer they walk the earth. When Jesus is your son, it probably helps you make... When Jesus is your son, it probably helps you make, make you a pretty effective parent, wouldn't you think? Uh, let me coach you and Joseph on how this could be better, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. You, know, just, you can imagine Jesus, he's like 15. I mean, at 12, he was teaching them all the rabbis in the temple, so he could literally say... Let me give you all some marital counsel. You know, that kind of... <laughs> you just think about that. Uh, we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to find out if that ever happened. But you know, he could just drop hints if he's like... He's being, you know, you all might want to try. <laughs> It'll work, trust me. You know, that kind of thing. But uh, a godly mom, she will give you godly and trustworthy advice. Was this the right advice to the servants? Whatever he says to do, do it. Is there anything you should disobey from Jesus? No. That's the best advice you could ever give your kids. You tell your kids, whatever Jesus says, do it. If that's the only advice that every mom in here gives their kids, that would transcend all other advice. Whatever you're, what, when you read red letters in the Bible, follow them. Whatever he says to do, do it. And our advice here is somewhat advice and counsel, but it's more of a stern command, isn't it? It's more of a command. You've got to command your kids sometimes. You know, um, this is probably a constitutional rights of mom, not to request, just to command it. <laughs> command it, especially if it's important. You know, Back, I mentioned in the 70s, there was a lady in the 70s named Irma Bombeck. Some of you might remember who she had a column in, the, in, in like Washington Post and New York Times, something like that. Uh, she said this, when your mother asks, do you want a piece of advice? It is a mere formality. It doesn't matter if you answer yes or no, you're going to get it anyway, right? Do you want a piece of advice? You're about to get some. And oftentimes it's not advice, it's a command. A strong mom will ever so gently yet firmly speak not only to their own children, but again, to others as well, the sphere of influence. And God's designed it that way because some people don't have a godly mom. So you might be the only godly mom that some kid, if you're the, you're the one that says the whole team comes over and three of them are from divorced homes and they don't have parents in their life, they don't have people speaking, you need to be ready to say, I can fill a void. I can speak where others aren't speaking. Some of you came up in a time where other people's, in the 70s, other people's parents could set you straight. Right, right, right. Down the block, 
you ain't going to have to wait home to get this. You know, you can get it now, you know, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> now today it's like, don't you talk to my kid that way. Back in the day, that was just normal. You know, you're going to get yelled at by every mom on the block. <laughs> then it's going to get really bad when you got, finally got home. But moms, is your advice and your counsel pointing your kids to hearing the voice of Jesus and following and obeying his counsel? Well, if it is, they'll see great things happen. Jesus, the servants do listen. The apostles are sitting around there. They haven't seen Jesus do a miracle yet either, by the way. They're all just sitting there, what's going to happen? And all of a sudden he says, fill these 20 to 30 gallon pots. Fill them all up with water. Why would we do that? Well, he, she, his mom already said, whatever he says, do, do it. So if she said it, let's just do it. We don't want a mat, we don't want an angry mom. So let's just fill them all up, you know. We have no idea why we're doing this. They're out of wine. This is a waste of everybody's time. Sometimes your kids will think that your prayers were a waste of time, and then they'll see God do something amazing. And they start pouring it out, and it's not just wine. It's the best wine that anyone's ever tasted in all of Israel. And if you're following the voice of Christ, then people will know that you can be trusted when you tell them to follow, you, it, you can't have the do as I say, do, uh, uh, you, know, you know what I mean. But anyway, you can't have, it's not, uh, it, you, whatever you do, you must actually, whatever you say, you actually have to do it. You can't say, well, well, I don't do this, but you should. Now, Mary lived a life where she talked to the Lord, obeyed the Lord, so if she's going to tell other people to talk to the Lord and obey the Lord, it's going to be consistent. People will look and say, does it, does it ring true? It's going to ring a lot more true if you obey Christ and then you're commanding your kids to obey Christ. Are we personally practicing what we're professing? It's a life that people, your own children or anyone else, can observe and say, that woman really loves Jesus. That woman really has a prayer life. That woman really has faith. That woman really loves the Lord. That woman really serves the Lord. That woman really loves people. You could see Mary and you would say all that was true. She wasn't perfect. She was not sinless like Jesus. As some have taught, she's not. She needed a Savior too, but she was faithful. Remember, Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's going to say, well, by the way, he won't, he won't welcome you into heaven as a mom. Mom is just a, a very important role. He'll welcome you as a daughter. He won't me welcome me as a father. That's a role that I... He won't welcome me as a pastor in heaven. That's a role in this lifetime. He'll welcome me as a son and you as a daughter. But as you've been given this responsibility, he's going to say, now I want you to be the example as a mother that your kids could follow and the neighbor's kids could follow and the kids at the school could follow and anybody else could follow because it is based on authentic, genuine faith. Amen? And then when you speak, you're going to impart wisdom. When you speak about Jesus, people will listen because they know that you spend time with him. They know that you hear from him. They know he imparts wisdom to you. And you're not given your own wisdom. You're given the wisdom of God. And that changes lives, doesn't it? The servants knew it. The disciples knew it. The whole family knew it. And in your life, people will know it too. If you're a godly mom when you speak, people will know you're getting your wisdom from Jesus himself. Amen? Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that your word 
can be trusted. We thank you, Jesus, that even if there's, if, as we listen to you, as we obey you, as we follow you, there's times when you're quiet, but if we're coming with the right spirit, with the right heart, we're coming out of humility, you're hearing us, and you'll answer in your time. But, Lord, we have to have the faith to believe what you've said. And, Lord, you've given us more than enough to walk in now until we have other things that are new doors to come through or new bridges to cross, but you've given us more than enough to follow. Mary had more than enough to already know that you were the Messiah. That even though you hadn't performed a miracle yet, she knew you could do it anytime you wanted. And you can do the same in our life. And so, we, Lord, we just ask that you would deepen our faith and our trust in you that, that for the moms that are here, that what comes out would be based on faith. And it would be in the purity and the wisdom of God coming out of their mouths and on their lips. But us as men and others in this room, Lord, that aren't mothers, we still, we need the same intimacy with Jesus and the same wisdom and instruction from you because whatever you say, we need to do it and we know that it will be fruitful and a blessing and as the wine was, joyful. And so we pray and we ask that you would help us in these matters. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.